Hello, friends. We're back with another episode of the C-SPAN in the Classroom podcast. And I am on a seafood diet. Every time I seafood, I eat it. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Craig and Pam. What a cheesy opening, Zach. (laughs) Indeed, a crummy joke. Sorry, guys, but I hope our audience will relish the rest of this episode. As we prepare for the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday, we decided to spend this week reflecting on the significance of the connection between food and culture. And unlike the milk that has been sitting in your fridge for a few weeks, this spoiler alert should come as no surprise. We'll be exploring the topic using resources from C-SPAN Classroom and C-SPAN's archives, of course. Food has played a central role in many areas of our lives, with often our earliest memories having something to do with food. From helping us to connect with people in politics to fostering cross-cultural experiences with others, food connects each of us when we gather at our tables with family, friends, and strangers. Food also serves as a spark for collaborative efforts to make our communities better. Food is at the heart of our daily lives. In this episode, we'll take a look at examples of how food has impacted our culture and our communities. So stick around like the strawberry jam on your toast. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With this week's episode exploring the C-SPAN archives for programs related to food, culture, and politics, our thoughts jumped immediately to our regular coverage of a program titled Politics and Eggs, which began in 1996 in Manchester, New Hampshire, the state that is home to the country's first-in-the-nation presidential primary. Politics and Eggs has historically attracted the majority of those folks who have considered running for president, but in the years since, the program has grown to include forums with other guest speakers, including journalists, presidential cabinet members, governors, and other leaders from around the country. The uh, New England Council describes the program as a forum for local business leaders to hear from candidates in an intimate setting as they visit the Granite State to campaign and build early support for their candidacy. In addition to sharing breakfast with the members of the New England Council, part of the experience includes the guests autographing a symbolic wooden egg and engaging in a period of Q&A with the moderator and the attendees. We'll post an example of some recent Politics and Eggs events on our website for you to see what the experience is like. Continuing on with the political theme, for those running for president... Part of every campaign season involves traveling across the country and engaging with people in their communities. That inevitably means sampling some of the local food, and it often means eating while numerous news media cameras are trained on the candidates every bite. Let's listen to a clip of Temple University communications professor Bruce Hardy talking about how candidates have used the food photo op to make a personal connection with the communities they are visiting. 
The food photo op, when did it become a staple of political campaigns? The food photo op uh, basically coincides with the, um, the mediated campaign, the more personalized presidential campaign. The candidates come into the community, they want to show the community that I understand you, I understand your values, I care about you, and it gives them a personal light to their campaign. In terms of years that this started, what what decades are we we saying where it really caught on? Oh, I mean, I think this has been going on probably since post-war campaigns. You know, since we started introducing Mass and Ave to the the campaigns in the fifties. Um, and you know, when the candidates come in, they they stop at the, uh, the the right bar, they drink the right beer, they shake everyone's hand, and it really connects with the community. Second, the language food is a tire among the community, so we 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 refer to food in terms of in terms of geographic region, right? Italian. Indians, so um, it's really connected to the community. So some of the more memorable food op, uh, photo ops of recent years, what are some examples? Sure, um, so for example here um, in Philadelphia in 2004, John Kerry came in and ordered uh, Swiss cheese on his uh, cheesesteak, he got a lot of flack for that. In 2012, Mitt Romney um, uh, went, walked into a, a KFC and ordered fried chicken, but took the skin off because he wanted a more, a more um, nutritious or a healthier option, and everyone knows you don't take you don't eat fried chicken by taking the skin off in the South. Um, in 1980, Gerald Ford bit into a unshucked tamale and bit into the corn husk, and at the Alamo, and that community was shocked by that. In the full clip on the C-SPAN Classroom site, Professor Hardy goes on to talk about how a candidate would do well to make sure they know the traditions of the community that they are visiting. So a fun extension activity you could explore with your students after watching this clip would be to discuss foods that make your community unique and ways in which a candidate could impress or ruin the opportunity of publicly eating those foods in front of members of your community. Sticking with the topic of local foods, how people connect, and the impact on a community, I experienced a fun change when I moved from the New York City area to Annapolis, Maryland. Now, I knew Maryland was known for their crabs, but I quickly learned that there was so much more to simply having crabs as a meal. It was a culturally shared experience among family and friends, with butcher paper, mallets and crackers, melted butter, and of course, Old Bay. And while I'm still not very skilled at picking crabs, I enjoy the whole process. And another important food I learned about since being here are oysters. I know my family loves eating them, and I have a nephew who is actually very skilled in shucking them. So that's another way that food brings people together. But I've also learned how they are an important factor in the ecosystem in Chesapeake Bay. And were, quote, the biggest moneymaker from the mid-1800s to the mid-1900s, according to the Annapolis Maritime Museum website. We have a clip from a C-SPAN programming when one of our C-SPAN teams visited the museum in Annapolis. So let's listen as museum docent Mark Bartlett talked about the oyster packing in the city. Well, oyster packing in Annapolis um, was a huge industry uh, for many years. There were about 17 facilities. Uh, most of them were in the town of Annapolis proper. The uh, McNasby Oyster Company uh, was uh, the only facility on uh, this Eastport Peninsula where we're located. Oystering uh, really goes back even to the Indians. There's plenty of ev evidence that um, the local Indians ate oysters, but uh, in the early 1800s, oystering became um, a, uh, a growing industry. Uh, up to shortly after the Civil War, it really began to blossom. There were probably thousands of boats at any given time um, oystering on the Chesapeake Bay, boats from skipjacks like we have here at the, the pier today, uh, and many smaller boats as well. 
He goes on to talk about the purchasing and processing of oysters in Annapolis and takes you on a tour of the old shucking room as he describes the job of oyster shuckers during that time. This is a great visual clip to use with students so they can learn about the history of industry in the area. Now, local sourcing of food can have great impact, not just in the community, but regionally as well. As Mark Bartlett explained, the oyster industry expanded the Chesapeake Bay area, which led to more jobs, an increase in commerce, and culture of the city as well. Mark Bartlett continues. The oysters from uh, the Annapolis area and other towns on the Chesapeake Bay really were shipped all over the eastern United States. Um, There were a lot of rail lines, and obviously there are big markets north of here, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Boston. And uh, so the Chesapeake Bay oyster was uh, a prized uh, oyster for its flavor, low salinity, and um, was highly sought after. In the Annapolis area, McNasby's was probably a pretty typically sized facility. There were as many as 17 uh, facilities like this in the Annapolis area at one time. Annapolis is a pretty small town, so you can imagine that was a dominant uh, industry here in Annapolis. Unfortunately, there has been a decline in the oyster population over time in this area. The cause and effect of overharvesting led to negative impacts on the environment, and pollution and disease have contributed to the loss as well. And there are so many lessons students can take away from using this one resource we have on our website, from learning about local resources, jobs and the economy, the impact on the environment, and steps they can take to remediate it so they can apply what they learn through this example to their own communities. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Speaking of our own communities, you know, I, I live just hop, skip, and jump down from Annapolis. Um, so, Pam, what's the best seafood restaurant in Annapolis? Beats the heck out of me, Zach. <laughs> Good one. Beats. Well, let's now talk turkey. This next clip features a few of President Joe Biden's jokes during last year's presidential Thanksgiving turkey pardon. Let's listen. I'm honored to welcome you for the first time as president to a Thanksgiving tradition here at the White House. Reminds us to have a little bit of fun and to always be grateful. You know, as a University of Delaware man, I'm partial to blue hens. But today we're going to talk turkey. Thank you, uh, uh, Pete Sager, uh, chairman of the National Turkey Federation, for continuing the tradition of presenting a turkey to the president that goes back to President Truman. Yes. Yes. And pardoning... The turkey goes back to George H.W. Bush. Look, and special thanks to the students at Ellie and Jack's school in Jasper uh, who submitted the names of these two fine turkeys. The two names I couldn't agree on more. Who better help celebrate the holiday in which they break the bread for two turkeys named peanut butter and jelly. I have to admit to you, my wife doesn't like me admitting it. That's what I like for lunch peanut butter and jelly. But I also want to thank the farmers 
who were selected by the National Turkey Federation to raise what's called the presidential flock. That's a group of 20 or so turkeys vying to make it here today. In other words, the Turkey presidential primary. Since July, they've been preparing the flock for this day. And I'm told the turkeys even listen to music to get used to the crowd noise. And uh, they've interacted with children and visitors to get used to the, their visit to Washington. And eventually, peanut butter and jelly were selected based on their temperament, appearance, and I suspect vaccination status. I... <laughs> no, is he? Yes, instead of getting basted, these two turkeys are getting boosted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I love them talking to me like this. You might be thinking to yourself, how could I possibly use this clip in my classroom? Well, if you teach presidential roles and responsibilities, I'd argue that this clip could serve as a timely example of the role of chief citizen, a topic that your students could explore with our presidential roles lesson, which has students explore all 11 roles of the nation's chief executive. As always, we'll link to this resource to our podcast page for easy access. But aside from the jokes, both President Biden's and the ones that we keep having in this episode, uh, the president continues later in the ceremony with this second clip where he discusses the purpose of the turkey pardon celebration and the importance of what he calls a, quote, cherished tradition in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic before he pardons peanut butter the turkey, of course. Folks, as I've said before, every American wants the same thing. They want to be able to look the turkey in the eye and tell them everything's going to be okay. And so, folks, it's going to be okay. In all seriousness, it's important to continue traditions like this, to remind us how from darkness there's light and hope and progress. And that's what this year's Thanksgiving, in my view, represents. And as we reclaim our cherished tradition, let's commit ourselves to what the psalmist wrote. He said, the Lord is my shield and my strength. And with my song, I give him thanks. Let our song be ones of lives saved, breaches repaired, nation made whole. And that's the America I know, great nation, because we're good people. You, the American people, I forever am grateful for your trust you placed in me. And from the Biden family to yours, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And may bless God bless you all. And may God protect our troops and may get to the business of the pardon. Thank you. That's a big turkey. <laughs> As the power vested in me as President of the United States, I pardon you. I pardon you this Thanksgiving. Go ahead, say something. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for the pardon. Without that, the pardon. Aside from nutrition and the fact we all need to eat to survive, Food can play a central role in bridging gaps and bringing people together. We hope some of the examples we've shared with you will spark interest in exploring some of the many resources we have available on our C-SPAN Classroom website to further engage your students. As we wrap this episode, we wanted to share a clip of chef, restaurant owner, and author Alice Waters talking about the significance of educating young people through food, whether it's your students or sharing a meal with family and friends at your dining table. So let's listen. I thought about my teaching and how... Public education is our last truly democratic institution. Mm -hmm. Nearly every child goes to school. 
And I thought that's the place to reach them, is when they're very little and bring them into a really positive relationship to food and to nature. And all of my Montessori training just sort of came back to me. And uh, she believed in educating the whole child, in educating the senses, because those are our pathways into our minds, our touch, our taste, our smell, our seeing, our listening. And if our, if our uh, senses are closed down, we are not able to connect with the world around us. And I really believe that our senses have been closed down many uh, in the way that Montessori talked about her work in the slums of Naples and in India. But ours have been closed down by the fast food culture that we live in. Everything is meant to be fast, cheap and easy and we are not touching and we're not tasting and we're not gathering at the table anymore and yet we're telling our children to wait for things and exactly. don't you know it's exactly like, yeah and when 85% of the kids in this country don't have one meal with their family we're losing our our humanity our connection with each other our sharing of food and those two little girls that you were with uh, in Puerto Rico, the idea that you should wait till everybody has food before you eat. I mean, that's an idea that comes from eating around the table and knowing how much food there is and being able to share with everybody who's there and saying please and thank you. In the full clip, which you can find on our C-SPAN Classroom website, Alice Waters goes on to share how you too can tie the study of food and culture into a classroom activity where your students create a placemat that features different facts about a region, city, or country and includes pictures and descriptions of some of the unique food that is shared among the people who live there. Now that we're getting into the full swing of holiday season, a conversation about food while sharing a meal together can lead to interesting conversations through which young people can learn and perhaps find new interests and solutions to improve how they associate and understand nutrition, cultural significance, and a general understanding of how food systems work. So whether you travel far or not at all, or whether you celebrate with turkey and stuffing or with a fresh pepperoni pizza, or whether you dine with family and friends or with coworkers or by yourself, we hope you take the advice of Alice Waters and consider how your teaching can help leverage students' senses, their sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch, to build connections this Thanksgiving season. And always remember, bread puns happen when you yeast expect them. We can always count on Zach to be corny, but as a reminder, you can access all of the resources that we've highlighted in this episode and more on our featured resources page at cspan.org classroom. And if you would ever like to connect with our team to learn more about what we have to offer for teachers and students, please email us anytime at educate at c-span.org. And that's it for this week. We hope you're not hangry with us for all of our puns in this episode, but it was just too good to pass up. Thank you for joining us. And please remember to like and follow our podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss our next episode. See you next time.